As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Bunk Cuts is a podcast fueled by creativity, curiosity, and empowerment. We cut through the daily mess of life. This is unfiltered honesty. Park your passive at the door. This is Blunt Cuts. Oh, hey, everyone. It's CJ. I just wanted to check back in um, and let you all know that this next episode you are going to hear um, was recorded in 2020 in a very raw time Um a short time after uh, the murder of George Floyd. So I wanted to just check in where my um, journey is in my work. And, um, you know, really with this idea of, you know, anti-racism work or allyship work, um, it's been challenging. It's hard every day. Um, It's not something you start to get a gold star, um, there's no completion. Um, and I think that so many systemic things have played into such a broken system. Um, and it's going to take generations. It's going to take constant every day moving forward and you're going to fuck up. I've fucked up a lot. Um, in trying to figure out the right position to move forward. And ultimately all, all I can do is every day put it in the forefront and um, challenge my personal biases and really dissect everything. Uh, I I really have found that um, when I really started exploring this work deeply, it did get harder. Um, there's a lot of explanation that I had to get rid of, of things of my past and the way that I was brought up or raised in a small town. You know, people are afraid of being called racist. And I can't imagine that there are many white people who aren't racist just based on our pure system that um, fails, um, you know, 
it, it, it fails black Americans. It does. And that's the reality. Uh, we all have to kind of accept that. And I have accepted um, that the system is completely made to stop uh, progress. And that's really hard. It's a really hard um pill to swallow so I would say that um yeah my work keeps getting deeper um I sometimes am really bold um in standing up for things sometimes I'm really cautious uh sometimes I hear more and more stories of our history and I just go wow um there are times I just cry there are times that I want to hide um but overall, I know that this is not done in a day. Um, I need to talk, keep talking, sharing, growing, fucking up, talking, sharing, growing, repeating, um, you know, forever and ever. And setting an example for my kids and the future generation is really going to provide the opportunity for um, this system to to be taken down and and rebuilt um you know in ways that that can you know really be like one place for all and um I try to not be a pessimist about it and I try to believe that we really um can bring some change but I know that that's a very privileged perspective um of thinking that I can just drive change and make it happen right um as a white woman um I don't face the adversity because of the color of my skin. And that's um, a reality. So I definitely um, have shifted the way I talk to my children um, and explain to them the the reality that is the history of America. So that's where I am in my work right now. Um, but it doesn't get easier. Um, and it's definitely something that we will continue to talk about together because it's important. And um, now part of who I am. And um, that's a really powerful thing to remove the veil of just complete naive. <laughs> uh, so I think that's, yeah, that's where we are. So um, I would love to say enjoy this episode, but I, I think it's about... Um, yeah, let's just keep talking about what we can do and how the changes we can make every day and try to break this down in a way that's productive and um, really providing opportunity to those who don't always have it. Thanks for listening. Today, um, I have the responsibility uh, to myself and to you to start the Blunt Cuts um I'm going to say confrontation. I wanted to say conversation, but confrontation on racism in our country, in our community. Um, I am by no means an expert. Um, I've definitely started my anti-racism work and, you know, I'm probably 10 years in. Um, but this is, you know, a 400-year epidemic, right? So we're in this together. Um, and it takes time. And it takes the time that it's going to take. Um, and I know that in the last few weeks, um, you know, with the, the death of George Floyd, um, I've unpacked again. And I've really, like, explored um, and vowed to, to learn and grow and listen um, and really, like, confront myself with um, 
you know, do, do I say something? And if I am going to say something, um, words really fucking matter. So I need to, to make sure that I'm, I'm true to, to my words and honest, um, to who I am. And I mean, really let you all know that I'm coming from this, from a very authentic space. And I've always vowed to, Bunk Cuts is about that, right? I've always vowed to come and be my most authentic self. Um, but it's hard when there are parts of yourself that, um, you're not super proud of, or you don't know why they're there, um, but they're there. And I think that's really hard. And um, so, you know, I've seen a lot of social media. I've seen a lot of um, white friends, you know, declaring that, um, you know, they are racist and they know that that is a systemic um, thing and they're, they're working through that. And yeah, I've definitely been through, through all of, all of the conversations of, no, I have a black friend. I'm not racist. No, I, you know, I, I love, you know, everyone or <laughs> don't see color. Like I, I can think back in the times of my life in which these phrases came out of my mouth or, um, you know, the posting of an, a Martin Luther King quote, um, because everyone else was doing it. So I'm here today to just say I'm trying and I'm going to do my damnedest to stand up for the people that I love, um, my Black community, my friends, my mentors, um, the people that have stood by me, um, that are every day thinking about things that I don't even have to think about um, just because of the color of their skin. And I can, you know, I can raise children and not have certain conversations with my kids that black moms have to have. And I think that's what really hit me was um, the motherhood and this, this lens. And um, I remember I had just had Ava um, when Trayvon Martin was killed getting Skittles on his bike. And that's, um, you know, that was a huge unpacking for me too as a mom. Um, but when George Floyd called out for his mother and said he couldn't breathe, and then, you know, weeks of listening to speeches and watching the front lines and watching the community come together around something that was so absolutely heinous and wrong, it's, it's powerful um, to see everyone come together. And I, I want us to keep going. I don't want it to stop. Um, so I've been looking, you know, into a lot of different things, and um, I found this idea of performative allyship and authentic allyship. I'm just going to read a few of these things to you because to me, um, I could see myself a little bit in that performative space, and I don't want to be that. So performative allyship, I'm going to read a few things. You're benefiting, optics, bandwagoning. PR, brand, public profile management, white fragility, you're resentful, everyone's doing it so I have to do something, your statement appeared after you were called out, that's a big one, virtue signaling, so showing your receipts or I'm doing all of this and here's everything I'm doing, um, yay me, centering yourself and centering your whiteness and I think that was a huge thing, a huge learning for me that I had to really unpack. Um, was the, that idea of centered whiteness and how we do it so frequently without even fucking knowing and just being so aware um, of that. That was a big one. Um, 
So that's performative allyship. I, that's, you know, not where we want to be. We want to be authentic. So I think authentic allyship, here are some, you know, spaces and things. Empathy, grief, outrage, check. Um, you're taking risks and holding yourself accountable. Brand is no concern. Um, educating yourself, examining your own privilege and using that to help. Committed to anti-racist work. Um, not virtue signaling and talking real action and it's not about you and sitting with discomfort and I think the sitting with discomfort thing is such a big piece that's so necessary um, and that can't go away you have to really just know that you have every day to to do this work um, and as a white woman in America in the suburbs with an executive role um, in corporate America, um, I have a job to do. I have work to do. Um, you know, I look at my professional um, career and the things that I've been doing in the last few weeks. Um, our company kind of made a made a statement, and um, I didn't stand behind it. I think that that was that was really hard for me, and kind of unpacking that of like, do I leave my job do I you know and I've unpacked this with my with my boss so he know he knows but um and I chose to um reach out to my CHRO um who is a woman and I was like all right this is you know this is our time as women to, to as mothers to really reclaim um you know this conversation and our company is um white it's very white um there's not a black person in any executive role that I know in 22 countries. Um, I mean, maybe globally, I, maybe there is, but we have um, over 16 offices in the U.S. and there is not an executive or leadership or VP um, that's black. That's a fucking problem, um, especially when we work in spaces <laughs> and I held meetings on diversity and inclusion. So... Um, yeah, I mean, I reached out and I demanded that we have um, a employee resource group and that we start forming and start having these conversations and we pull in networks of um, people of color to bring forward these conversations. Um, yeah, we're all very well-meaning, well-educated white people. Like, we know shit's wrong. Like, that, that check, we know that's wrong. But what we're not doing is we're not opening the door and we're not changing the system or we're not breaking things down because we're we're not bringing the right people to the conversation and it's very easy to open the door pick up a phone and say join this conversation we want you to consult we need your perspective uh so i guess that's what i'm demanding out of my company a little bit um which is hard because we're in a state of um you know economic turmoil our whole country is going through um a historic of well, the world but you know we're going through some um crazy historic times of um you know probably the next great recession and uh, it's it's not an easy time to really speak up uh but there's never going to be an easy fucking time so um yeah i'm demanding some things out of my employer i am starting uh, first with myself um so really reading so much and um you know i'm i'm appreciative of the curated collections that i'm now seeing on amazon and netflix and um you know there are 
brands, and I would call these performative allyship. I don't think this is going to be the way forever. I think these brands are responding um, for image, um, but however they're responding, I'm being able to get the content faster. Um, so I'm, I'm consuming, I'm learning, I'm trying to read, watch, pay attention, listen, um, ask the questions, talk to, to mothers of black children, talk to, um, you know, black business owners. I'm trying to really just figure out, you know, the, the places and spaces in where I can help make actual change because I, that, that's who I am. Like I, um, and it's not my job to like, Oh, I want to, I want to fix you. I don't want to be a white savior. And I, that's not the, that's not where I'm coming from. Where I'm coming from is like, what the fuck am I doing wrong? That are simple things that I could just easily change in a minute. And that's the way I raise my kids. So that brings me to another thing as far as parenting goes. Um, I've always been very, very open with my kids. Um, and uh, I happened to, I mean, I was not, I did not watch um, the actual video. Um, it, it was just, um, yeah, obviously I just didn't watch it. So um, I actually asked my kids if they had seen anything. Um, you know, with the fires in Minneapolis or anything with, with George Floyd. And they had actually watched the video on TikTok. Um, my kids are 10 and 7. So I didn't know that. I mean, I know, like, I know TikTok. I'm fucking in the space. I'm a creative director. I'm in the medias. But I didn't know how fast um, that would be there for my children to consume. Um so we talked, we talked about it. Uh, we talked about how absolutely wrong that is for, you know, a human to do to another human. And um, they don't understand. They didn't know why. Um, and we talked a lot about Black lives. And we talked about how this is not as, you know, not something that you would really see in the reverse. And that's hard. And I think um, it's hard. Um, Dash, his best friend is black. So he had a lot of questions. Um, and he's just such a warm hearted boy that he just had a lot of questions. And he was like, well, why didn't somebody, you know, pull him off? And just all the things like out of the mouth of babes. Yeah. Like why the fuck didn't somebody, you know, why we all have these, these questions. And so as a parent, that's something that I'm working on and working through with my kids and um they're aware they have to be they have to be they have to know their privilege they have they have to um and they have to know what to do with that and we can change and this world can change and I really think that um if we confront racism daily like a daily way of life like a daily fucking this is like everything to who and how you're interacting somebody driving by like are you looking are you are you thinking like oh is there somebody you know like how what is in your mind what is your internal monologue around race and if you're if you're feeling um you know you're walking down the street and you see you know as a woman a black man does that make you uncomfortable if that makes you uncomfortable I need you to unpack that um, these are things that I had to unpack throughout my, my whole life. I mean, I grew up in a place where um, there were no black people. Like this was, you know, in um, 
I unpacked my entire from birth till now. <laughs> um, but really, truly, like I saw um, black people on TV because uh, hilariously, my family like loved to watch black TV, but I don't think loved black people. And that's, that's hard and weird for me to think about. Um, yeah. And I think about my elementary school and how on Martin Luther King Day, they just divided the white kids into two groups and some had to use a farther bathroom. Um, and I just unpack all of these like weirdnesses from childhood of growing up in a purely white community that had no idea what the fuck they were doing when it came to talking about race with kids. So they didn't. Um, yeah, I mean, Christopher Columbus, that was like, oh, the three little boats, and it's going to be a fun journey. And he was, you know, got lost, but he found it. And it's so great. Like, there's no talk about anything. I mean, slavery was barely, I didn't even talk about history and slavery until middle school, maybe. Um, and then there were no real programs or curriculums around that in my life. Um, definitely, like, there was a mixed girl in my middle school. That was my first like representation of an actual like woman. Um, and we never talked about race. Like I never met her family. I never went to her house. Um, I loved music, um, loved a lot of different music. Dr. Dre really spoke to me apparently in middle school. <laughs> I can give you the whole album, but um, yeah, I, I have a family of, uh, not just country music lovers, but um, I would constantly be told to turn that jungle music off. And I didn't unpack what that phrase jungle music meant until I was a fucking adult. Like that was just a nomenclature. That was just something used um, willy nilly. That was just, you know, how it was used. Um, you know, my grandparents had a farm and they'd fix things and the N-word would be used if they fixed it just quickly. And, you know, blank rigged, like that's, that's the terminology. That's the things and shit that I like heard, but never processed as being like wrong. I, I, that's what, that's how I, what I heard. Um, high school, lots of, lots of racial jokes and um, Confederate flags and trucks full of Confederate flags and that that's what I saw like that. And I didn't even necessarily like, I knew that the Confederate flag was from before. And I knew that um, these people that we would deem Hicks or more, you know, um, lived a country, more country. I kind of lived in the country too. So, but like, that's what they were termed. Like that was a name of this group of people that would have these trucks with these flags. And yeah, you just, I didn't even, didn't even process it then, right? So, like, this is a glimpse into, like, where I grew up and, you know, where I come from and what I'm constantly fighting. We're going to take a quick break. Welcome back to Blunt Cuts. Let's keep talking. I am going to be um, unpacking something that um, I am going through working on um, my anti-racism work. Um, I had something that really threw me back in my work a little bit. And I want to un 
uncover that because I think that it's very common. And I know that those of us that are doing the work um, either have experienced this or may experience this. So I think it's important to, to just get real about. Um, so I have been in my journey of this work, you know, for seven, eight, nine years. I mean, I, I really, it's new and fresh to me. To me, that is not a long period of time by any means. Um, and it really started for me when I, when I got to college and actually like had my first black friends and started realizing, holy crap, when you're not in a white town surrounded by all white people, you realize like, wow, there is a difference. There is a difference in treatment. There's a difference in the way authority um, in general from, you know, everything, professors, um, <laughs> librarians, the way somebody is looked at at a library, like just after hours versus how I was looked at, you know, just like little, little things. And I'm like, yeah, that there's some shit going on. And so, you know, I really started my work there and it's been, um, it's been in and out, right? Like I, I feel like I'm learning and then unlearning. And um, I think that that is just part of this journey. And I happened to on the 4th of July, um, well, prior to the 4th of July, I kind of sit down with my kids and say, hey, um, this is a tough year to celebrate. Like this is a really tough year to um, celebrate much of anything. Uh, We're dealing with um, quarantine and COVID and how, would you all like to form a new family tradition um, of a family bake-off? So we decided to, to go ahead and do that. And that's what we did on the 4th of July. Uh, traditionally, the 4th of July had always been one of my favorite holidays because it was surrounded by family and um, gathering and great food and fireworks and fun and parades and love. Um, and that's what it always meant to me. Um, so it's different. It was different this year. It felt different. So we decided to like, Hey, let's just do a family tradition of a bake-off. So we did that. Um, and my daughter picked out some awesome decorations and we made, um, they wanted to do red, white, and blue. So we made red, white, and blue. And then they're like, Hey, we should have a visual vote on Facebook. So I didn't think anything of it. Um, not one iota of my brain processed the fact that if I put onto social media, my red, white, and blue bake-off and American flag plates and full um, Americana um, on social that I, I didn't think about it. And I had a friend, a really good friend, and somebody who um, I look at as um, an incredible human that I know and love and that is really, you know, up to her head in, in her work right now and her anti-racism work and her Black Lives Matter um, commitment to, um, to the organization and, um, protesting, she called me out hard and it was tough. So, um, just to give you that context of like where that bake-off came from and it was tough. It was a, a, a direct, I'm disappointed in you. You come to me for, um, all of these resources and you're continually asking me what you can do. And then you go and do this. Um, and it hurt, just a punch, big punch in the gut, right? So it's been uh, a couple of weeks since then. And where, you know, where I am is um, the fact that I didn't even think about it. That's where I have a problem um, in my work and where I know that that's a, that's a fuck up. Um, I 
I had been reading. I, you know, was reading a lot that week. And um, yeah, I think I even saw some call outs like, hey, team, like, let's not, let's not really celebrate this. Let's not perpetuate the the system by by sharing these images and my brain bit went back to like my childhood and what it all means to me and my definition of the flag and Americana representation and like didn't even didn't even think didn't even process back to like all the work I've done so I it hurt it hurt me it hurt Obviously, you know, it hurt her, but after we worked through it and we talked um, a bit uh, via text, it was just, I knew it was a place of love. I mean, and she affirmed that, but she's also like the little things are important and we have to call those out and we have to think about that. And um, I think we all have to form our positions, you know, of like where we are in our work and where our friends and family are and recognize that and recognize that. her making that call out to me like took me back like kind of stopped my work for a bit because I like was a wreck um but after I've had time to process it I think the big thing is I didn't think um and if I had thought about the people in my life that um are going through a lot right now and how that representation of the flag maybe isn't the most positive image in their mind and that my view of the flag is a very privileged view and position um I just didn't even think and that's the problem um I don't think that the flag is that bad (laughs) I think that we as Americans define what that means today and that's a big that's a big thing for me because I'm like hey I was telling my kids like let's make a big off and like redefine these colors and show what America means to us so to me I was doing a like solid with all the work I'm doing at home but visually it's a trigger image and I think being aware that just because of my privilege and my position and my viewpoint of the flag and how that's a positive message to me that is not everyone's um, vision of of that imagery right so you know where and how do we um, do our does our social media go entirely removing all <laughs> iconic americana um, you know we're seeing a lot right now we're seeing a lot of these um, statues coming down of just horrible men in history that were idolized and um, change. Change is what we need right now. And I think it is those little things. Um, so it took me back. It, it hurt. And I, it, but I, the work is continuing. Um, I'm moving forward with this. And I think with this deeper thinking of, hey, if I'm going to post this, like, wh- who are the people that I love that may see this, that this may hurt? Um, I think social is such a, a public place and because um yeah I think I think you can hurt people with simple images and that's not something that I had thought of before so I'm thankful I'm thankful to my friends for um knowing that they can be honest and call me out um I'm also thankful for um my friends that saw it and we're like what the hell that's really mean are you okay um because I did need that I did also need that like um not that the world necessarily needs to continue to defend white feelings around um, around things that 
it's not really worth that energy, but it was nice. It was nice to get a few people reaching out and be like, well, that was really like bold. Are you okay? Um, and I just had to reassure everyone that yes, and this is a person that I know and love and this has to be coming from love and I have to understand that a little more deeply and I need some time to do that. So be gentle um, with each other and with each other's hearts and um, be gentle on yourself. This is one of the things that I am um, most challenged with. I have a really hard time um, not seeing like a linear progression. And I think in this anti-racism work, um, there is none. I know the last time I talked about um, my work and I was really defining like the different allyship and the different ways and forms of that and what I had been reading. Um, I most recently read an article that really also kind of punched me in the gut and that was that the word ally is is not really um, something we should use um, because uh, black people didn't create racism. Just let that sit for a minute. Like black people didn't create racism. We did. We as white people um, did. So if we're saying we're allies, like what, what and where does that mean? What does that mean? Um, we're allies to people who didn't create this problem. <laughs> like we, we, so using that word alone, um, it's made me think. So continue to do that work, um, continue to help each other do that work, be gentle. Um, I think if we all come from a place of love and commitment to each other, that, um, you know, one of my, one of my house rules is assume positive intent. Um, I, I think our, collectively, we're working through this. Um, and a lot of people are, are just starting that work. So be gentle, have your family time, um, do the things you need to do, but be aware um, that people are watching um, more than not. And you should be watching more than not what you're, what you're saying and how you're saying it and making sure it's coming from a loving place. So that's what I have learned. One more step. Um, so a few steps back and a few steps forward. And I think that's what we have to do in this marathon. So let's continue the conversation. You can uh, find us on Instagram at Blunt Cuts Podcast. Blunt Cuts is a production of Matriarch Digital Media. Executive producer, Twilight Dang. Edited by Beth K. Gibbs. Production assistant, Mia Register. You can find more great podcasts from Matriarch Digital Media at matriarchdm.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.